During the last couple weeks, I shared part one and two of an insightful conversation with Tigo Daniel Joyam, a social entrepreneur and a key opinion leader within the world of epilepsy. He strives to destigmatize how epilepsy is seen and treated in low and middle income countries through his nonprofit, the Global Organization for Health Education, or GOHI, and his fair profit company, Purple Point Diagnostics. Both companies feed the needs of the other. Despite spending time interviewing my guests, I often will listen back to the interview and find myself with even more questions. I might want some more clarification, or I might just be interested in learning more. But a lot of times, getting my guests back on the podcast to answer those questions is not an easy task. After all, they are busy saving the world. So what I've decided to do is record a short Q&A episode or episodes for each interview that I do. And as a podcast that is for beginners, and as a beginner myself, I thought we could take this time to research and find answers together. And this is definitely where I would absolutely love for you to send in your questions and get involved as well. I've included a form in the description below for you to submit your questions pertaining to previous episodes and topics that have been on your mind. And who knows, maybe you'll hear your question come up in a future Q&A episode. For today's episode, I put together a list of questions that came up for me during my time listening back to episodes 34 and 35 on the eradication of epilepsy stigma with Tigo Daniel Joyam. We'll go through each of these questions together, and I hope you find value from this episode. Let's get right into it. My name is Hethel Baman, and this is The Global Health Pursuit. Okay, so let's talk about epilepsy. In the episode, Tigo shares with us that there has been some important language and terminology changes within the IGAP, which is the Intersectoral Global Action Plan on Epilepsy and Other Neurological Disorders. And now after doing some research, the evolution of language in addressing epilepsy stems from a conscious effort to humanize the condition. Terms like epileptic seizures carry stigmatizing connotations that can overshadow the individual beyond their diagnosis. Embracing person-first language, such as referring to individuals as persons living with epilepsy, emphasizes their humanity and individuality rather than reducing them to a label. This shift aims to dismantle misconceptions and foster a more inclusive and respectful dialogue surrounding epilepsy, acknowledging the person beyond their medical condition. And I think that this terminology can be shared amongst every condition. Instead of saying that a person has or is battling cancer, you can say that the person is living with cancer or fill in the blank condition. By doing this, you are not allowing the condition to define who you are. For our next question, I wanted to dive a little deeper into the realm of sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, or SUDEP. According to my research, SUDEP remains a perplexing phenomenon within the realm of epilepsy. 
It represents unexpected deaths in individuals living with epilepsy that cannot be attributed to external causes like injury or drowning. Researchers do believe that several factors contribute to SUDEP, including alterations in breathing patterns during seizures, potential irregularities in heart rhythms, and other associated risks. Most notably, over 80% of these tragic deaths occur in low- and middle-income countries, highlighting the urgent need for improved access to comprehensive epilepsy management. Understanding SUDEP remains a critical area for further research to prevent and mitigate these devastating occurrences. Now, since we're talking about epilepsy in low- and middle-income countries, my next question revolves around the different ways people develop epilepsy within these countries. In this episode, we hear Tico explaining that epilepsy can be highly prevalent in low- and middle-income countries due to several factors, such as lack of oxygen to the brain, difficult births, and the brain not being well-developed. And to piggyback off of that, according to an article in Seizure, the European Journal of Epilepsy, epilepsy's higher incidence and prevalence in low- and middle-income countries compared to developed nations are influenced by multifaceted factors, traumatic brain injuries, central nervous system infections, and perinatal injuries disproportionately affect poorer regions, particularly rural areas where better health care isn't easily accessible. It affects populations that are consistently facing conflict and poor infrastructure as well. The increased prevalence of epilepsy in these settings demands comprehensive strategies to address these risk factors and also provide adequate care. On the topic of research, there is a scarcity of funding that we see when it comes to epilepsy research in low- and middle-income countries. It stands as a formidable challenge. So why is it that funding is so limited when it comes to epilepsy in these nations? According to an article in the Frontiers of Neurology Journal, the limited availability of epilepsy studies in low- and middle-income countries is often confined to specific settings, and because of this, these specific studies tend to be considered as representative of the low- and middle-income setting in general. Therefore, it's important to acknowledge that findings in low- and middle-income country epilepsy research have limited generalizability and need to consider the heterogeneity of settings. Inadequate health data systems, reliance on paper-based records, and the exclusion of epilepsy from reporting systems impede effective resource planning and targeted research. In many instances, epilepsy and other non-communicable diseases are not included in reporting systems. The result is that whole health systems are blind to epilepsy and other non-communicable diseases and do not include them in resource planning or defining research agendas. So strengthening data protection measures become really imperative to safeguard the privacy of participants, particularly in vulnerable settings while advocating for more inclusive research frameworks. Lastly, since learning about the response of Tigo's community to his brother's condition, I've been thinking, 
What are more of the myths and stigmas that are linked to epilepsy, especially in low- and middle-income countries? During the interview, Tigo mentions how his brother lived with epilepsy when they were younger. Many of the people within their community believe that being near someone when they are experiencing an epileptic episode could cause others who are near to quote-unquote catch the disease. Some also believe that those who live with epilepsy are possessed by the devil or other supernatural elements. On epilepsysociety.org, the stigma surrounding epilepsy manifests in various forms, significantly impacting the lives of those affected. We have misconceptions from limiting daily activities to financial constraints due to treatment costs. It can create barriers for individuals and families dealing with epilepsy. And like I mentioned, deep-rooted beliefs, such as attributing epilepsy to demonic possession or considering it hereditary, all of this contributes to societal prejudices that hinder social integration and opportunities. These opportunities include jobs, social activities, and even marriage. It can become incredibly isolating for those who live with epilepsy when surrounded with people who are not fully educated. So eradicating these myths requires concerted efforts to foster education, awareness, and inclusivity in communities with individuals living with epilepsy. And this is exactly what Tigo and his teams at Gohi and Purple Point Diagnostics are trying to do for millions of people around the world. In this episode, we dove a little deeper into these five questions. Number one, what are the changes in language or terminology when we speak about epilepsy? Number two, what is sudden unexpected death in epilepsy or SUDEP? And what do we know about how it is caused? Number three, what are the different ways people develop epilepsy in low- and middle-income countries? Number four, why is funding so limited when it comes to epilepsy research in these nations? And number five, what are the myths and stigmas that are linked with epilepsy, especially in low- and middle-income countries? Was this episode insightful for you? Did you learn anything new? Do you have any further questions? I would love to hear from you. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn or DM me on Instagram at hethel.bauman. You can also connect with me by emailing me at hethel at globalhealthpursuit.com. You can find all of those links in the description below. And if you'd like to submit a question of your very own, click the link in the description that says submit a question. I'm always excited to learn more with you. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes that we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.